Welcome to Bandcamp. My name is Dan. And I'm Jennifer. And this is the podcast where we read banned books to try to find out why they were banned in the first place. And this season, we are reading The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. And there will absolutely be spoilers ahead because we're literally reading the book out loud. Head on over to Bandcamp Season 4, Episode 1, if you don't want to be spoiled, as Huck Finn would say. Also, join us over on Instagram. You can follow us at Bandcamp underscore podcast. That's band with two N's. And before Jennifer starts reading, let's roll him in. Here he comes, the third member of our team, our trusty robot, to give us a brief overview of where we left off in the story. Robot, hit it. Previously on Bandcamp, we explored Huck's ethical quandary as he observed the king and duke's cruel scam targeting mourners set against the backdrop of Jim's preposterous getup. The chapter had a nice mix of moral introspection and absurd humor. What happens next? You're about to find out. <laughs> Look at him go. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, let's begin chapter 25 of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. The news was all over town in two minutes, and you could see the people tearing down on the run from every which way, some of them putting on their coats as they come. Pretty soon we was in the middle of a crowd, and the noise of the tramping was like a soldier march. The windows and dooryards was full, and every minute somebody would say over a fence, Is it them? And somebody trotting along with the gang would answer back and say, You bet it is. When we got to the house, the street in front of it was packed, and the three girls was standing in the door. Mary Jane was redheaded, but that don't make no difference. She was most awful beautiful, and her face and her eyes was all lit up like glory. And she was so glad her uncles was come. Oh, see, that's where you could be ashamed of this is so terrible i hate it so much they have all the information they need to just swindle this family these girls (laughs) oh god and get this you know like these guys more than anything i mean they love to scam but even more than that they love a crowd they do love a crowd they love an audience oh my god you're gonna (laughs) turn it up The king, he spread his arms, and Mary Jane, she jumped for them, and the hair, now that I know what that means, uh, and the hair lip jumped for the, the the hair lip, that's what he's calling her, oh, (laughs) the hair lip jumped for the duke, that's what he's calling her, it's not good. Uh, Not good, believe me, not good. Not too good. It's not the way people should be addressed. And there they had it. Everybody most, leastways women, cried for joy to see them meet again at last and have such good times. Then the king, he hunched the duke, private, I see him do it. And then he looked around and see the coffin, over in the corner on two chairs. So then him and the duke, with the hand across each other's shoulder, and the other hand to their eyes, walked slowly and solemn over there. Everybody dropping back to give them room. And all the talk and noise flopping. People saying, shh. And all the men taking their hats off and drooping their heads so you could have heard a pinfall. And when they got there, they bent over and looked in the coffin and took one sight. And then they bust out a crying. (laughs) So you could have heard them to Orleans most. 
And then they put their arms around each other's necks and hung their chins over each other's shoulders. And then for three minutes, or maybe four, I never see two men leak the way they done. And, mind you, everybody was doing the same. And the place was that damp I never see anything like it. Then one of them got on the other side of the coffin, and the other on the other, and they kneeled down and rested their foreheads on the coffin, and let on to pray all to themselves. Well, when it come to that, it worked the crowd like you never see anything like it, and everybody broke down and went to sobbing right out loud, the poor girls too, and every woman nearly went up to the girls without saying a word and kissed them solemn on the forehead. And then put their hand on their head and looked up towards the sky with the tears running down and then busted out and went off sobbing and swabbing and give the next woman a show. Do you think Mark Twain or Sam Clemens or whatever thinks people are just super foolish and led by emotion? Because it kind of does seem like people are super foolish and led by emotion. Like, is he making fun of people here? Like, no, I mean, these guys are just salesmen. That's all they are. They're that selling is a true. scam. Nah, for sure. It's the way that Mark Twain's portraying them, though. Like, they're all just putting on a show, and the people are putting on a show of sympathy and grief. They're doing what they're supposed to do. That is a really interesting point. Both parties are playing along. Maybe they really are feeling it. I don't know, but it's kind of ridiculous to get caught up in it like that, you know? like Well, a small town, somebody died, especially back then. Everyone knew he knew everyone. And they probably thought, boy, I mean, the guy wanted to see his family and he never could. And now, bam, the family happens to show up the day before or the day after he died. Hmm, I, I mean, it's people are probably missing the, the dead person. And it's, I mean, it's a, they're putting on a show. <laughs> they're the, tr- they're putting on a tragedy, the Trojans. <laughs> by and by the king, he gets up and comes forward a little and works himself up and slobbers out a speech, all full of tears and flap doodle. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> all full of tears and slap doodle about it's being a sore trial for him and his poor brother to lose the diseased. But it's a trial that's sweetened and sanctified to us by this dear sympathy and these holy tears. And so he thanks them out of his heart and out of his brother's heart, because out of their mouths, they can't words being too weak and cold and all that kind of rotten slush till it was just sickening. And then he blubbers out a pious goody, goody, amen. And the minute the words were out of his mouth, somebody over in the crowd struck up the doxologer. Doxologer. This is a killer Scrabble word. It's got an X. It's got a J. (laughs) Doxologer is a dialectical or colloquial variation of the word doxology. A doxology is a short hymn of praises to God often sung by a congregation at the end of a worship service. The term comes from the Greek words doxa, meaning glory, and loja, meaning saying. And everybody joined in with their might, and it just warmed you up and made you feel as good as church letting out. Music is a good thing. And after all, that soul butter, soul butter, Dan. Soul butter. And after all that soul butter and hogwash, I never see it freshen up things so and sound so honest and bully. What is that really expensive ice cream place you guys have? (laughs) Is that soul butter and hogwash? (laughs) Then the king begins to work his jaw again and says how him and his nieces would be glad if a few of the main principal friends of the family would take supper here with them this evening and help set up with the ashes of the deceased 
and says if his poor brother laying yonder could speak, he knows who he would name, for they was names that was very dear to him, and mentioned often in his letters. And so he will name the same, to wit, as follows, Reverend Dr. Hobson and Deacon Lot Hovey and Mr. Ben Rucker and Abner Shackelford and Levi Bell and Dr. Robinson and their wives and the widow Bartley. Reverend Hobson and Dr. Robinson was down to the end of the town a-hunting together. That is, I mean, the doctor was shipping a sick man to the other world, and the preacher was pinting him right. Lawyer Bell was away up to Louisville on business, but the rest was on hand, and so they all come and shook hands with the king and thanked him and talked to him. And then they shook hands with the duke and didn't say nothing but just kept a smiling and bobbing their heads like a passel of sap heads whilst he made all sorts of signs with his hands and said, <laughs> goo, 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 all the time, like a baby what? that can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Wait up. What are you talking about? Cause he's supposed to be um, deaf and dumb, like can't hear and can't speak. So he's going goo, goo, goo. <laughs> oh my God. Goo, goo, I don't like oh. it, Dan. God, hold on. Wait a minute. All I, all I got is baby noise and an owl noise. This has got to be it. I'm sorry. So the king he blattered along and managed to inquire about pretty much everybody in dog in town by his name and mentioned all sorts of little things that happened one time or another in the town, or to George's family, or to Peter, because he got all that info from that motormouth kid. Wait, but where is that kid now? That kid's just off on the boat. He's gone. He was, he happened to be from this little community, but he was going elsewhere. So he's oh. not in town. So he doesn't know. If he knew, if he was in town now, he would totally expose these guys for sure. What if it turns dark and they killed him? <laughs> uh, they drown right. him. Oh, <laughs> oh, <you> don't. <laughs> I know. And he always lets on that Peter wrote him the things, but that was a lie. He got every blessed one of them out of that young flathead that we canoed up to the steamboat. Then Mary Jane, she fetched the letter her father left behind and the king, he read it out loud and cried over it. It gave the dwelling house and $3,000 gold to the girls. And it gave the tan yard, which was doing a good business, along with some other houses and land worth about 7000 and $3,000 in gold to Harvey and William, and told where the 6000 cash was hid down cellar. So these two frauds said they'd go and fetch it up, and have everything square and above board, and told me to come with a candle. We shut the cellar door behind us, and when they found the bag, they spilt it out on the floor, and it was a lovely sight. My, the way the king's eyes did shine. He slaps the duke on the shoulder and says, Oh, this ain't bully, nor nothing. Oh, no, I reckon not. Why, Bilgy, it beats the nonsuch, don't it? The Duke allowed it. They sifted the gold through their fingers and let them jingle down on the floor. And the king says, It ain't no use being brothers to a rich dead man and representatives of foreign heirs. That's got left is the line for you and me, Bilge. This year comes of trust into providence. It's the best way in the long run. I've tried them all and there ain't no better way. Most everybody would have been satisfied with the pile and took it on trust, but no, they must count it. So they counts it. And it comes out $415 short, says the king. Dern him. I wonder what he done with that $415. They worried over that a while 
and ransacked all around for it. Then the Duke says, Well, he was a pretty sick man, and likely he made a mistake. Reckon that's the way of it. The best way is to let it go and keep still about it. We can spare it. Oh, shucks, yes, we can spare it. I don't care nothing about that. It's the count I'm thinking about. We want to be awful square and open and above a board here, you know. We want to lug this here money upstairs and count it before everybody. Then there ain't nothing suspicious. But when the dead man says there's $6,000, you know, we don't want to. Hold on, says the Duke. Let's make up the deficit. And he began to haul out coins out of his pocket. It's a most amazing idea, Duke. You have got a rattling clever head on you, says the king. Blessed if the old nonsuch ain't a heppin us out again. And he begun to haul out coins and stack them up. It most busted them, but they made up the $6,000 clean and clear. Says the Duke, I got another idea. Let's go upstairs and count this money and then take and give it to the girls. Good land, Duke. Let me hug you. It's the most dazzling idea at ever a man struck. You have certainly got the most astonishing head I ever see. Oh, this is the boss dodge. There ain't no mistake about it. Let him fetch along their suspicions now if they want to. This'll lay him out. Okay, so this is like top-level con man stuff, like giving them all the gold. And then they're going to take it back somehow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm not on their side. It's just very clever. When you do your scams against grieving families, this is your move. Hi, I'm Dan. And my name's Jennifer, and we're from Bandcamp, a comedy podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. Season six of Bandcamp premieres on June 4th, and we picked a fantastic book for this season, and the name of the book is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Science. It's our first contemporary book. It explores friendship and sexuality through the experiences of two Mexican-American teenagers living in El Paso in the 80s. If you are new to Bandcamp, each season we read an entire book. In each episode of that season, Jennifer reads the chapter out loud and we comment and try to have fun as we go. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. So please join us as we try and figure out why Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe could have ever been banned. But I bet we're not going to find anything because banning books is stupid. Season 6 premieres on June 4th. See you there. <laughs> when we got upstairs, everybody gathered around the table and the king, he counted it and stacked it up. $300 in a pile, 20 elegant little piles. Everybody looked hungry at it and licked their chops. Then they raked it into the bag again. And I see the king begin to swell himself up for another speech. He says, friends all, my poor brother that lays yonder has done generous by them that's left behind in the veil of sorrows. He has done generous by these your poor little lambs that he loved and sheltered, and that's left fatherless and motherless. Yes, and we that knowed him knows that he would have done more generous by him if he had been feared a wound in his dear William and me. Now, wouldn't he? There ain't no question about it in my mind. Well, then, what kind of brothers would it be that stand in his way at such a time? And what kind of uncles would it be that rob, yes, rob, oh my God, <laughs> such poor sweet lambs as these that he loved at so such a time? If I know William, and I think I do, he, well, I'll just ask him. 
He turns around and begins to make a lot of signs to the Duke with his hands. And the Duke, he looks at him stupid and leather-headed a while. Then all of a sudden, he seems to catch his meaning and jumps for the king, goo-gooing with all his might for joy, and hugs him about 15 times before he lets up. Then the king says, I note it. I reckon that'll convince anybody the way he feels about it. Here, Mary Jane, Susan, Joanna, take the money. Take it all. It's the gift of him that lays yonder, cold but joyful. Mary Jane, she went for him. Susan and the hair lip went for the Duke. And then such another hugging and kissing I never see yet. And everybody crowded up with the tears in their eyes and most shook the hands off of them frauds, saying all the time, You dear good souls, how lovely, how could you? Well then, pretty soon all hands got to talking about the deceased again and how good he was and what a loss he was. And before long, a big iron-jawed man worked himself in there from outside and stood a-listening and looking and not saying anything and nobody saying anything to him either because the king was talking and they was all busy listening. The king was saying in the middle of something he started in on, they being particular friends owe the deceased. That's why they're invited here this evening. But tomorrow we want all to come, everybody, for he respected everybody. He liked everybody. And so it's fitting that his funeral orgies should be public. His funeral orgies? What kind of a statement is that? Never heard it before. You save it for PPP. Ay, <laughs> caramba. The Duke, he couldn't stand it no more. So he writes on a little scrap of paper, obsequies, you old fool, and folds it up and goes to goo-gooing and reaching it over people's heads to him. The king, he reads it and puts it in his pocket and says, Poor William, afflicted as he is, his heart's all right, asks me to invite everybody to come to the funeral, wants me to make them all welcome, but he needn't have worried. It was just what I was at. Then he weaves along again, perfectly calm, and goes to dropping in his funeral orgies again every now and then. <laughs> why is that? Why does that come up so much? Did the word used to mean something different? Must have meant something different. It couldn't have though, because of the root of that word, right? The root of the word orgies can be traced back to ancient Greek. The word orgy in Greek referred to secret or sacred rituals or ceremonies that often involved excessive and unrestrained behavior, including excessive eating, drinking, and sexual activity. Over time, the term evolved to encompass wild, uninhibited, and often immoral or lascivious activities. In English, orgies is used to describe excessive and often uncontrolled indulgence in various activities, typically of a hedonistic or sensual nature. Maybe Mark Twain was a dirty, dirty bird. Who knows? There is a 72.4% chance he uses the term funeral orgies satirically to emphasize the excessive and somewhat absurd nature of the Wilkes family's morning rituals. Oh my god, okay. It's going to explain it all to us. Here we go. I say orgies, not because it's the common term, because it ain't. Obsequies being the common term. I don't know what obsequies is either, but obsequies being the common term. Because orgies is the right term. Obsequies ain't used in England no more now. It's gone out. We say orgies now in England. Orgies is, oh my God, how many times am I going to have to say this word? Orgies is better because it means the thing you're after more exact. Aye. He was the worst I ever struck. Well, the Iron John man, he laughed right in his face. Everybody was shocked. Everybody says, why, doctor? And Abner Shackleford says, why, Robinson, hain't you heard the news? 
This is Harvey Wilkes. The king, he smiled eager and shoved out his flapper and says, Is it my poor brother's dear good friend and physician? I keep your hands off me, says the doctor. You talk like an Englishman, don't you? It's the worst imitation I ever heard. You, Peter Wilkes' brother, you're a fraud. That's what you are. Ooh, who is this guy coming out of nowhere? <laughs> These guys are going to get run out of town and they don't have any of their money because remember, they took care of the deficit. Uh-huh. They lost all their money. Oh. I don't know. I, I mean, this is only one guy. I mean, the people are going to go with their emotions, right? What do you think about emotions, Jen? Or orgies is better. Dan, you're such a child. <laughs> Infant. well how they all took on they crowded around the doctor and tried to quiet him down and tried to explain to him and tell him how harvey showed in 40 ways that he was harvey and knowed everybody by name and the names of the very dogs and begged and begged him not to hurt harvey's feelings and the poor girl's feelings and all that but it weren't no use he stormed right along and said any man that pretended to be an englishman and couldn't imitate the lingo no better than what he did was a fraud and a liar. The poor girls was hanging to the king and crying, and all of a sudden the doctor ups and turns on them. He says, I was your father's friend, and I'm your friend, and I warn you as a friend, and as an honest one that wants to protect you and keep you out of harm and trouble, to turn your backs on that scoundrel and have nothing to do with him. He is the thinnest kind of an imposter, has come here with a lot of empty names and facts, which he picked up somewheres, and you take him for proofs and are helped to fool yourselves by these foolish friends here who ought to know better. Mary Jane Wilkes, you know me for your friend and for your unselfish friend too. Now listen to me. Turn this pitiful rascal out. I beg you to do it, will you? Mary Jane straightened herself up and my, but she was handsome. She says, here is my answer. She hove up the bag of money and put it in the king's hands and says, take this $6,000 and invest for me and my sisters any way you want to. And don't give us no receipt for it. Whew. No, no, no. I hate it. I hate to say it, but she's trusting someone she just met versus this doctor that's known her all her life and knew her father. I mean, it's sad, but then she put her arm around the king on one side and Susan and the harelip done the same on the other. Everybody clapped their hands and stomped on the floor like a perfect storm, whilst the king held up his head and smiled proud. The doctor says, All right, I wash my hands of the matter, but I warn you all that a time's coming when you're going to feel sick whenever you think of this day. And away he went. All right, doctor, says the king, kinder mocking him. We'll try and get him to send for you which made them all laugh. And they said it was a prime good hit. End of chapter. Well, hmm. it sounds like their plan of giving the girls the money, all of it, totally paid off because they got it all back. No receipts, nothing. I hope this is the moment that Huck says, F you guys. And I know. What is he doing rap? all up in this business? Like being part of it, helping them. I don't know. We still don't know if Huck's getting a, a part of it. We don't know. It hasn't said that. So what? what's his deal? I don't get it. It's time for PPP, Problematic Points to Ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? No PPP in that chapter. Obviously, 
unkind language, the hair lip. So it's definitely a derogatory term, but I don't know if it, it's not ban worthy. I mean, if the N word isn't It's band not ban worthy. Yeah. From ban worthy to binge worthy. You guys are comic book fans. Pay attention to this. Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. All right, we've caused enough literary chaos for today. Thank you for listening, Scary Book People. You can find us on Instagram at Bandcamp underscore podcast, where you can connect with fellow Scary Book People, join in the polls and discussions, and you can vent about the evils of book banning. And we really do hope you join our community. We'd love to see you there and engage with you. Bandcamp is produced and hosted by Dan Schultz and me, Jennifer Davis. All media used in this production was done so under the protection of fair use. And we'll see you next time, everybody. See you next time.